The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The dominion of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus told them another parable. The dominion of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The dominion of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the dominion of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the dominion of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the dominion of heaven is like a householder who brings out of the household treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. In today's reading that we heard, Jesus offers five short little parables in succession. All are examples of what the dominion of heaven is like also known as the kingdom of heaven or the reign of God or the version that I'm partial to today, God's empire. Each of these little sayings reveals a piece of what God's reign is like. Remember that Jesus's story occurs in the shadow of a different empire, the Roman empire. In the short term, Jesus's life And ministry and the ruckus that he stirred up on the outskirts seemed insignificant and easy to contain for a megapower empire like Rome. But that was the short term. The long term, over a stretch of long time, God's empire has a way of subverting the powers that be. Which is why Jesus' parables seem somewhat innocent on the surface. But in reality, they're troubling. They're ambiguous. And they're meant to leave you disturbed. They're troubling because often we are looking at these parables as the world's empires would have us see them. That's the way we're trained to see and understand things. But Jesus' parables are meant to unsettle what we know and point to God's empire, not the world's. Each one of these five short parables is worth a closer look. First, God's empire is like a mustard seed that someone took, sowed in a field, and it grew. Now that's simple enough 
to understand, a small seed grows exponentially into a shrub. It can be 10 feet tall. But if you stop and examine this scenario, it opens up other questions. The word field that the seed was planted in is translated from the Greek word agro. It's where we get our word agriculture. It also can be translated as farm. Why would someone take land used for farming and plant a large shrub in it? The shrub takes up the space where crops could be. Not only that, but it attracts birds which eat the plants you're trying to farm. When you think about it, that parable is very strange. In the second parable, God's empire is like yeast or leaven that a baker mixes into flour. At first glance, that also sounds simple enough to understand. A little bit of leaven goes a long way and expands exponentially like the mustard seed. Also, three measures of flour is not like three cups of flour. It's like 60 pounds of flour. It's enough to make bread for 100 people. Again, if we stop and examine that scenario, there are other questions. Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will warn the disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. In that sense, yeast was bad. Also, the Exodus event and Israel's liberation from Egypt is commemorated with unleavened bread. It symbolizes the hastiness in which God's deliverance was happening. But here, God's reign is like leaven. Why would Jesus want them to think of God's reign as something that is to be avoided elsewhere? In the third parable, God's empire is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then hid then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, there's a connection here to the two parables that preceded it. Hiddenness. The small mustard seed is hidden in the field. The small amount of leaven is hidden in the flour. And this treasure is hidden in the field. In that sense, God's reign is like something small that's hidden. But this brings up questions. Why sell everything to buy the treasure and the field that contains it? That's an incredibly risky move. It potentially threatens the man's entire livelihood. Strangely, it says that this risky acquisition of property was something done in joy. He was joyful about giving up everything to get this treasure. In the fourth parable, God's empire is like a merchant who finds one pearl of great value and sells everything to have it. Just like the person who found the treasure, this merchant is willing to disrupt everything in their life, selling everything they possess in order to hold this one thing that they find incredibly valuable. Again, an incredibly risky financial move that doesn't really add up logically. As the saying goes, it's not wise to put all your eggs in one basket. In the fifth parable, 
God's empire is like a net that catches all kinds of fish. Once they're ashore, the fish are separated into good and bad. This one, this parable, has resonance with the parable that we heard last week about the wheat and the weeds. Both the wheat and the weeds are allowed to grow together, and only at the harvest are they separated. Likewise, all kinds of fish, both the good and the bad, find their way into the net. It's only after that they're separated. Now, if we take all five of these short parables and add them up together, we're left scratching our heads. Their meaning is hidden. A clear understanding of what's going on here isn't obvious. The examples that Jesus provides are confusing. They're ambiguous and they're somewhat disturbing. They're stories that don't always make sense. Why plant shrubs in the middle of farming fields? Why compare God's empire to something that is corrupting elsewhere? Why make such a financially risky deal for treasure or pearl? Our confusion comes from our worldview. Often we are looking at these parables as the world's empires would have us see them. From the perspective of the world, some would say these parables seem foolish. But God's foolishness is greater than human wisdom. The same foolishness can be applied to Jesus on the cross. Why make that sacrifice? Why not fight back instead of giving up? Why surrender when there is so much potential for good? But the potential created by Jesus' death contained more wisdom than what appeared on the surface. There are no easy answers to these parables. There are many possibilities about what they could mean. In some sense, understanding them isn't the point. Wrestling with the parables is better than fully explaining them. There are no clear answers. Only the mystery of a net that we are all caught in. A net that encompasses everyone and everything. Amen.